there is just a better natural chemistry if you're sitting across from a person and you're not kind of like eyes darting around your computer because like somebody texts you or you get an email or something like that and and just having kind of like being in the room with somebody I mean I think like you know we're both comedians and performers and you know live is always better than digital or even a screen so I think you know we always also we had more fun doing it that way <laughs> we have not seen each other I was trying to be like how long has it been well I saw you when I was in LA last summer oh that's true but not to um, podcast. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, we really we've done like uh live shows like uh like on Moment House, but those are all remote as well. Like we've been in d- separate we've not recorded in the same city in at this point years. February of 2020. Yeah. The last time we recorded in person so. together. But um I I don't know, it's an interesting question. I f- definitely feel like um, I made me prepare more like for the episodes because, you know, with the delay of, um, you know, video there, it can't be quite as natural as when you're in the same room. So I wanted to be a little more on top of my game so that I could, there'd be less of those like little dead air moments. But other than that, I don't know. I, you know, it's interesting to have so much of our partner, creative partnership be, remote at this point i do feel like it it is that's probably so much so common now in a way it wasn't in the past so i don't know that's an interesting question yeah i don't know i don't think the podcast would like necessarily be different if we had been doing this in person the whole time but i think we certainly like found our remote rhythm from doing and then it's just like well now this is kind of the rhythm we're in (laughs) I used to do all of these in person for, I mean, basically like up till the pandemic. And I was like very insistent on it to the point that I turned down like a lot of really good people and a lot of really good opportunities. And then it's sort of like the fact that I, you know, I, I used to go into the office every single day. And when that stopped being a thing, I, I can't remember what compelled me to do that previously. And at the end of the day, Obviously, sure. Like you, lo- you lose a little bit of that. I, I guess that that magic, or at least your ability to kind of read people in person. It's just so much easier to do this remotely that it. I don't. For me, it doesn't. I, I can't see a point in the foreseeable future where I go back to insisting on doing these in person. I mean, I think also personally, like I like doing it in person because, like, it's not my equipment and it's not my ability to troubleshoot that keeps things moving along. Um, when we were recording in our studio, um, there was a sound engine here. There was, you know, there were multiple people and like backup recordings and things like that in a way where like, you know, obviously you can see how easily we <laughs> move through a remote recording, you know, here. And it's just like, I panic every time something freezes or isn't working. Cause I'm like, I don't have the technical skills to assess the problem and fix it. So when that's off the table as a concern for me, um, and I think for Hallie too, um, mm-hmm. it lets us just then kind of like relax into the pod and not like, oh, I froze. Yeah. Oh, this thing won't connect. Oh, you know, all those things are just like, I think remote work in general. And I think like the way of digitization of um, especially entertainment and, and comedy and media things um it does put a lot of the burden on um, performers and talent that used to be uh, mm-hmm. the job of somebody with expertise. And and so that I think is a very 
I don't think that I've quite come all the way around to remote everything because of that, because I'm not a tech savvy person. I am, I'm like, neither of us are. So I think like once that variable is removed, it is a lot easier to be like in the groove of like, oh, we're like riffing, we're doing all this stuff. Um, Because I don't have to think like, if this all falls apart, like I'm alone in my apartment and probably have to call someone to walk me through fixing a problem I deeply don't understand. It sort of reminds me, I saw somebody tweeting about um, OnlyFans, and not that not that we're delivering uh, material of that high of value as OnlyFans, <laughs> but it's almost saying, it's like, oh, it is good that you can make your own content and immediately put it online and, like, get paid for it, but it does mean, like, you are also the cameraman, you are also the sound, per- you are You're the grip, editing. you are the editor, and it's like, oh, yeah, like, that's it, true of everything, and it was, like, just an interesting, like... The, the trade-off for remote work can be having to gain skills that are not necessarily, again, like immediately compensated, but it, but are expected. There's also just the very practical thing of like, if something fucks up, then you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can point the finger somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. What has kept you remote for this long? If I mean, it sounds like neither of you are particularly in love with that and you were in the same city at one point and you you decided not to record i mean we were in the same city before the pandemic started but since since the covid lockdown began hallie's been in la and i've been in new york and we both live permanently in those so like we can't you know if we look with unlimited money we would fly back and forth all the time and just do it in person i think it would be a preferred yeah, I moved um, right before I moved in January 2020 to LA. And then I came back in February. And I think we had to bank a bunch of episodes. And I think we were thinking not always, but at the time, like, I was planning to be in back in New York more often. And Allison was gonna be in LA for work. So we would be able to do more stuff in person. And since the pandemic, I've been here and plan to stay here. Um, and Allison's been in New York. And I every you know, I mean, the strike is on, but once it begins again, I will, in my heart of hearts, hope Allison is forced to move to LA because I do prefer to do things to yeah. get, like in the same room. But also, I know that's not that's not where you're at or what you're interested in, yeah. Allison. I'm just saying it would be a fun um, problem for for us to have. In a perfect world, we could at least be in a studio together a few times a year to get a couple episodes with the magic of us in a room together. Yeah, and also, you know, maybe we'll do in-person live touring at some point, which would be, I think, a dream of both of ours. And, you know, we're both performers. So doing it on stage, even better than a studio where we're surrounded by tech, which I think ultimately is our nemesis. Hallie, what made you move to LA? Um, It was love. And um, yeah. It always is. Every time I ask somebody that question, invariably. Well, so interestingly, and I've been talking a lot, we talk a lot about this in the podcast, but especially because it's Pride Month. But basically, I moved um, beginning of 2020 um, in with my ex who became my ex fiance. And we lived together, um, you know, various places in LA. We were in Koreatown um, for most of it. And then last June, I came out having gone to therapy. Please go to therapy, everybody, (laughs) and realized I was a lesbian. And we broke up. We're still dear friends. He was just on our, on the pod. And so, yeah, so, but I, I really like LA, which I first moved here. I'm glad I lived in New York first. Cause I think that'd be a much harder, yes. the other way seems so much the harder. People who do the other way seem like, um, absolute maniacs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it seems so difficult. 
Yeah, so I, I, but I really even enjoying living in LA. And then I got a job. I, I work at Crooked Media, which is the company that Ruin is now on um, as of April. So I think for me, I, I don't know. And I also like LA, you know, it's like just like the way I love New York. I just couldn't do New York now. I feel like I could do New York when I'm 22, but I, I'm, I'm at a point where I'm like, I can't do it again. Personally. That's a really important life detail there, realizing that you're a lesbian and coming out. That must have been mm-hmm. a that must have been a hard conversation to have with your It sure partner. was. Yeah, it it was funny and um it was just sort of like I, I realized it in therapy and then I spent a couple of weeks being like, Well, how do I how do I like hold the door closed with my foot? Or like how do I make it not true? And I was like, I'll tell him in July. I genuinely don't know what the I just like I, I was like, I can't do it. And, and then in the end, like, you know, he, he's a dear friend of mine and it was a really hard, traumatic experience, but we've become better friends through it. And he then came out as bi afterwards. And so it's, this is my first pride out. It's also his first pride out. So I do think that not that things happen for a reason, but I do feel like it's nice to know, even in these situations where it is really difficult and really... I don't know, like you're just having to grapple with a lot. The good things can come out of it and you can have like really beautiful, you know, enduring friendships that out of like a template of something where you think like, well, this person was never going to speak to me again, but that wasn't the case. So I'm very grateful about that. I was one of those people who was very hesitant to do therapy. A big part of it is the fact that my my mother is a psychotherapist, which is apparently uh, a pretty common story as far as people being put off by the process. But I, like a lot of people, hit a wall during the pandemic and got to the Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, this is an untenable situation. If I don't like to get on some medication and start talking to somebody that, I mean, b- both the therapy itself and that realization, do you feel like that these were things that were kind of shaken loose by the stress of the last three years? Absolutely. I, I think a lot of people you see, a lot of people came out like there was kind of like a wave of like slightly older people coming out. I think probably also a lot of divorces, a lot of like, and a lot of relationships, a lot of people being like, Oh, I either have to go back to school or change my career. Or like you said, like go to therapy and like yeah. really start managing my mental health. And it is because it is so easy to get caught in the grind of day of the week to week and be like, well, I'm not happy, but I got to go to work and then right. it's the weekend and I, I need some time to recoup. So the pandemic sort of disrupted all that. So it wasn't conscious, like even that was like, I didn't realize it was lesbian from being in the pandemic. But I will say I started to work like I travel for my current day job. And I was flying a lot. And I was having a lot of anxiety and stress around flying. And I do think there's something like I don't think I would have been as anxious and distressed flying if we hadn't just spent two years inside. And then I would not have then gone to a therapist and then discover this other thing about myself that had nothing to do with the flying. So there is something where it's like, you can't, I don't know. um, If anyone feels totally mentally healthy, I I support them in that. But I think a lot of us have stuff where it's like, I know I should sit with this, but it can't be this week. You know, I got work to do. And the pandemic, like you said, like, it's a a totally different way to live. And then it forced... Uh, a lot of people, I think, they have conversations of like, okay, well, if I'm not happy or if this isn't working for me, like, what does that actually mean? You know, and how, what do I do about it? I'm in New York and I'm living in this one bedroom. I, I, I live alone. I've had this conversation with a lot of people over the past three years, whether whether the pandemic was easier to go through with somebody 
in your place. I could see pluses and minuses of both sides. I think mental health wise, it's probably a lot better to have somebody around to talk to these things day by day. But in terms of not just coming out, but also in terms of dramatic changes to relationships, breakups, there's there's like, there's two key things at, at play. Just the act of being stuck inside with the same person day in, day out for so long. Mm-hmm. Really good way to test any relationship. On top of that, just basically being alone with your thoughts all the time, um, stuff, stuff starts to bubble up pretty quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting point. I think to me, it's like the question is, if you live with someone, is do you have a good relationship with them? <laughs> Whether that's a romantic partner or a roommate or a friend. Because I think for me, you know, I, me and my um, ex were, are really good friends and had a great time. So I feel really grateful to have somebody. But if it had been a bad relationship, yeah, <laughs> I really feel for anyone who is, especially like, I know people who got divorced, you know, like uh, being at home sort of led to that in a way that maybe wouldn't, not that it wouldn't have happened, it just would have maybe happened later in a different way. So I think it's like, yeah, if you are in a functional relationship, whatever that is, it would be good. If not, I mean, God, that would be so hard compared to being alone. Because yeah. at least alone, it's like, you 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 you're, you are yourself. I'm I'm back to living alone. I I I find myself deeply annoying, but I at least know what her, right. what she's like, you know. <laughs> Versus, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question, though. Moving to Los Angeles during the pandemic was a very good move. This was. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I, I completely agree. There were a lot of long nights where I was wondering, like, why I was continuing to pay New York rent to live in a one-bedroom apartment that I never left. Mm-hmm. I was in New York the whole time and in a, a much smaller one-bedroom and then eventually a slightly larger one-bedroom that I live in now. And uh, But I'm like an alone person, so it was like tough and dark, but I've lived with roommates before. I've never, never lived with a partner, but I'm just like, I don't know. This was probably for the best for whoever would have been living with me. Um, like, I just don't know that I would have, mm-hmm. I think I would have ruined someone's life and for sure a relationship if we had been locked in together. So I, you know, it was tough in New York. I thought, you know, it, I have friends that like bought houses upstate and like did all this stuff, but I, um, I stuck it out and I'm still here. <laughs> I'm I would call myself a, an alone person too. I mean, I, 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 I live alone and I definitely... I don't want to talk about my own therapy experiences the entire time, but these are these are things that I've been c- sort of coming to terms with um, as far as the as as far as sort of like the necessity of being alone, as far as the ability to like you you do stand up, the ability to maybe go out on stage and uh, perform in front of a bunch of people or talk to a stranger on a podcast, and then I don't know for me like if I'm at a party and I don't know anybody, then I'm just like. Just, just completely, completely shut down. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that those things are like so different, though. Like being on a podcast, like being on stage, like things where there's like a really, um, like an organizing principle to like how you'll socialize versus like a party where it's like, oh, I don't know anyone. These people all know each other. There's no contract here that like they have to talk to me or what we would talk about or all those things versus like on stage on a podcast in any other context like or or if i'm just alone in a place where i went to be a lot like a bar or restaurant like then i feel like 
it's easier than a par- I feel like a party when you're by yourself and you don't know anybody is like the ultimate worst scenario, whether you enjoy and thrive being alone or not. Some people like love just being there and meeting entirely new people, but I just cannot, I can't relate to that in the slightest. Yeah. The other aspect of it that I've been thinking about a lot lately too, is that you want to be left alone. You sort of built certain things in your life around that, and then you're alone for a really long time, and then a pandemic comes along, and you're like, hey, why is there nobody around me? This this all of a sudden really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You look around, and it's hard to, like, to, to, to sort of to, to find those people, because, like, whether consciously or subconsciously, you've, like, effectively been kind of pushing people away. I guess that's an interesting thing to realize, too, that I think probably the pandemic showed a lot of people is, like, Oh, if you if you have your work, you know, there are a lot of things that could take up your time in your life. But then when those things are disrupted, it's like, oh, okay, who do I have? And um not not to make everything about me being queer, but I do I did have this experience where it was like after I came out, I was like, and I have many wonderful friends, you know, who are straight, obviously. And I I'm so grateful for my friendships that I had before. But then I was like, oh, I really want to meet queer women and queer friends in general, just to like have people to go to like events oh to. And so I was like, I felt like I was in middle school again, being like, how do people make friends? Like, I, I forgot. And the way I did it, in case I was listening, and it was like, how do I make friends? And this is specifically about queer friends. But I think you could use this for a lot of different things, which is, well, at least for me, being queer was like a play, like, okay, so that I know I can go to like queer dance night, or there, there's like lesbian, like line dancing or whatever. So I can have specific events. And then I talk to people and it could be anything. It could be like, oh, I like video games or whatever. And then anytime you talk to anyone, if in my example, if they're queer, I said, oh, can I put you on a, a group chat of all the queer people I know? <laughs> and most for the most part, well, I have a one from work and then I have one of lesbians I've met outside of work that I don't know. I mean, I've met like some of them one time. And for the most part, people really do want other friends yeah. like or make new friends. And if they don't, they will make that very clear. So there's plenty of people who are like, no, thank you. But there are a lot of people, especially because I do think it is harder to make friends outside of school or, you know, some other reason to hang out. So people are more open to that. And especially maybe we're more open after the pandemic. And then you just have to keep asking people to things. And even if they can't make it, don't take it personally. That's fine. Everyone's busy. And then maybe they can go to the next thing. And I will say that does work because I do feel like I have friends I could hang out with. Again, in addition to my many wonderful straight and gay friends I had before. And I think that that is a skill that we don't teach people. Like, we don't teach people how to make friends. And it's not intuitive. And I only did it because I felt like I would go insane if I didn't. So I was like, all right, I just have to like... And I also would make like, okay, what are the events in this week in Los Angeles for queer people? Okay, there's drag bingo. Okay, does someone want to go to that? And then through that, was able to build up friendships. Yeah, I don't know. It's But it's you're right. Like, it's hard to... It's something weird to analyze. It's it's weird to analyze like how do I make connections and relationships in my in my yeah. life that I don't have and I yeah. really want. And you could do it, but boy, it is a lot yeah. of work. I will say that. I don't think you have to apologize. It's a grace period of having this like such a profound realization in your life that it's been. I mean, it sounds like it's been about a year at this point. I'm going to say yes, that you, yeah. that you get a couple of years. Because thank you. Not that you need my permission, obviously, but we're talking about like a completely like recontextualizing the lens that you see the world through. Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that because I definitely have cried so many times during Pride Month. Like I just go to events and I'm like, okay, well maybe next Pride it'll be fun, but and also I won't cry so much. <laughs> and it's all like really positive things. Like 
I went, um, I work at a, McCrook is like a progressive media company. I work with a lot of trans people who are really wonderful. And I went to this, uh, like it was like an event called Trans Joy Fest. And it was like the different things from trans like creators. They had like people got up and like would read poems and it was so beautiful. And, and I was really lovely, but I'm also like, boy, I sure am crying hard in front of people yeah. I don't know. And that's fine. And everyone was really nice. But I'm like, next year, I bet I'll enjoy this. And I won't be visibly sobbing during a lot of this. Just because I think it's, it is so new. And it's so lovely. And it's just I don't know, it's just very it touches me to see everybody who is out in the world being like, here's my mm-hmm. little stuff. And I here's my little what I'm trying to do. I don't know. It's so nice. So next year, I, I'm going to give myself another year. So I appreciate that. Yeah, Next year, no crying and pride. From the sound of it, it sounds like that realization isn't what it didn't create your politics. And certainly, you know, you were able to be sort of sympathetic and mm-hmm. empathetic to people going through that in the past. But it like, I, you know, like, I, you know, listen, I'm like a I'm like a cis white dude. The closest I get to this is some neurodivergence, but also like the huge explosion in, in anti-Semitism. <laughs> and for me, like. I don't know what it says about myself that it, that it was that after all the like awful stuff that is constantly happening on Twitter, it was like clicking through and seeing some of those hashtags that really kind of made me back away because things are like things feel profoundly different when you have skin in the game in that way. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think, you know, like there's so many doors to the same reality, which is that like, oh, no, like every group is vulnerable if we're, if people are trying to attack people, but you're right. Like I, I definitely was an ally before, but I I wasn't my struggle. Like I was like, well, I, I know that the people on the other side are wrong, but I don't necessarily know how to like help or how to think about it. And then now coming out, I'm like, oh, I guess the answer is like, we all just have to be talking and thinking about this and doing whatever we can all the time. But, and to your point in every, like, it's like, if it's not queer people, if it's queer people this week, it's, it's Jews next week. And then it's poor people the week after it. Like, unfortunately, it is everybody, but then also it gives us a level of understanding and solidarity with each other that we're going to need, you know, clearly because there's so many people who are so absolutely batshit insane on the other side. Nice side effect of doing the show is that it is that it not only gives you excuse, but it forces the two of you to, to talk mm-hmm. regularly, to have those conversations. And it sounds like it's almost inevitable that some like deeply personal things are going to come out on this show where you're talking about horror movies. Yeah, I, I think so. Like we've tried to use, we talked kind of explicitly about using horror as a way to talk about horrifying things. And that, you know, includes, I mean, anything related to the body, like horror is about the body. And we live in a world in which, in which so many of our ways, in so many ways, like we're so vulnerable. We talked about gun violence when we did, for example, the movie Crimes Against the Future. We were talking about, about queerness when we talk about um, queer horror movies this month. And it is, I don't know, like, yeah, they're really, it's, there's so many different ways to talk about sort of the political environment, but horror allows for this very visceral, upsetting language that I do think is helpful to be like, this is, it's insane that we all live under this stress and in this way and have to be vulnerable and scared like this. And horror is a way to be like, it's almost like, here's a metaphor, here, here's an image to reflect back to your, yourself and understand your own situation. I mean, obviously, the two of you, it sounds like we're very close friends before all of this, but I, I know a lot of people who do podcasts who like specifically go together, who specifically go out of their way to not really have conversations in the interim in order to save some of that good stuff for the show. 
I mean, like we used to talk a lot more only because our daytime schedules permitted us to both be um, like fucking around all day. Uh-huh. Both of us had a, a looser kind of uh, during the day uh, schedule and work and deadlines and kind of the ability to just be like constantly like, you know, messaging each other, just the dumbest crap we could possibly find on the internet and chatting all the time. Mm-hmm. I will say we do that less, but it is not because we are saving anything. It's certainly just because we're both like, got to go to a meeting. <laughs> like I have a thing I got to do, like, yeah. which, you know, it's like life gets in the way or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I'll, ne- I'll never understand. Like I understand like if like we're chatting before the, and I've done this certainly with uh, other podcasts and comedy people you know we're friends and we're talking and we're goofing off before recording starts and it's like well let's save this because like we're already talking but i think being in constant contact and and having all kinds of conversations and all kinds of means of communication is only helps like what comes through on the podcast when we're recording about a movie because i think we do know each other super well and that is like part of why it works not by design that the two of you aren't speaking as frequently as you used to, but because the two of you aren't speaking as frequently as you used to um, due to these external factors, again, that must really amp up the, the impulse to have really personal conversations because in, in a strange way, like your, your one, your major outlet to, to do that is one that happens to be listened to by a lot of people. Yeah, I think that's fair. I feel like, I don't know. I, I, I definitely, we are both, I hate to be like, we're both artists, but there is something about like, like Allison doing comedy. Um, I think there is like, not that people expect you to give of yourself, but to me, it's always been clear how much more people get out of mm-hmm. it and people as performers get to give if they are vulnerable. I mean, I don't want to speak for you, Allison, how you feel about that, no, but I don't know. <laughs> like, I think there's something about. Yeah, I don't know, like, having a window into our friendship or that we're, we're talking to each other and being very candid and honest, like, that's, those are the conversations I would like to listen to and I get a lot out of and, and sort of feeling other people's friendships. So yeah, I, I definitely think, I don't know, I, I, I know there is a downside and that downside is like people forming parasocial yes. relationships with you because you don't know them, which I, I do think can be harmful. But the flip side of that is, I don't know, like, people need to feel like the human on the other side of the screen, you know, in whatever way that manifests itself. And I think like when you have a close like friendship and personal relationship with like the person that you're making something like our podcast with, it's like, I like, I think we both just feel safe enough in the recordings, in our conversations with each other that like, if things do go in a political or a personal or a uh, darker, like, you know, any of the angles um, that a conversation can end up taking that we both feel like we're doing it together and feel like comfortable and interested in doing that versus, you know, if you don't know someone as well, you're not as likely to feel ready to reveal something about yourself because you don't not only do you not know what an audience might think, but you don't know what the person on the other end of the microphone is going to say. Uh, but I think that Hallie and I both, you know, we have that that like, it's it's like having a safety net. <laughs> That idea of parasocial relationships, is that something that you've experienced from the other side of like people maybe being a little little too familiar in spite of the fact that they've never met you? I don't know. I mean, I feel like so much of it's from so- in social media. And I, maybe we just have like a particular um, kind group mm-hmm. of sweetie pies who listen to our podcast. But I feel like people have been like so encouraging and so sweet. Yeah. I also feel like we're not like engaged. Like, 
I mean, not that we can engage with fans, but like I do feel like you sometimes see, I don't know. I think about when Taylor Swift used to have fans to her yeah. house. And I'm like, I like there is a repercussion yeah. to that. And that is that people think like, okay, so yeah. we're friends. And it's like, I, you know, I respect the people who listen. They respect us. But nobody's coming at us sideways. Yeah. And I think that is in part because it's like, you're seeing what we want you to see. You're not necessarily... We're not we're not creating the illusion that you're you're seeing every part of our lives, which I think is important. There are real boundaries, and I think like also like because our like because it's like we talk about our lives and we talk about our thoughts and our opinions. And like I think people really do have a sense of who we are when they listen to the podcast. But it's not mm-hmm. kind of this like long, windy, unwieldy thing where it's like we have to reveal everything. Like we're talking about a horror movie. Like when it's relevant, we bring in our lives. But it's not like we're just constantly like you're tuning in because you want to hear everything about my day. Like, you're tuning in because you want to hear Hallie talk about this movie, me be really upset by the movie. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, like, that's what keeps, like, a a kind of a nice buffer. Whereas, like, when I do stand-up, and it's very personal, after shows, I feel like people will, like, come up and say things or um, have expectations, you know, if they message you that like, Oh, well, I, you just told me like everything about you. So I, I know you. And it's like, well, no, you don't at all. In a lot of ways, stand up is a lot more structured and a lot more rehearsed and, and is therefore like more curated as far as what you're actually like putting out there versus having, you know, it's spontaneous conversation on a podcast. Right. Absolutely. We talked a little bit about this idea of horror as, as allegory, which like is certainly always, always been the case to a certain extent seems like horror movies of more recent vintage are, are leaning even more heavily on it but allison is somebody who's had a i don't know if morbid curiosity is the right word but has been very like interested no it is in this space in spite of like not being able to actually like sit through an entire movie or how much of your interest is because of this this notion of allegory I mean, I think, like, I was an English major. Like, I love overanalyzing something. Um, (laughs) That's, like, all I really do anyway. Yeah, it is to kind of be, like, and I think, like, when we first started doing the podcast, I had a quite, I often asked a question that I don't anymore just because I think it's been, like, we've reinterpreted it and it's been reframed a little bit as we've gotten deeper into, like, how do we talk about these movies? What exactly am I actually asking for? Where I'd be like, well, what was kind of, like, moral like the moral of the story not like the the morals of um a movie but like i was always like well what was it trying to say and because i think that we especially had talked about some movie and i've seen a couple of horror movies and i have found almost all of them to have like a a real you know allegory to the experience of being alive and get out and silence of the lambs i think there's a lot like i i respond like that's the part i liked and like what kind of got me through those movies was like connecting to those allegories and metaphors and morals or whatever you want to call them. Um, so I don't like ask that question anymore when we do the podcast. Cause I think like we're a little bit more explicit and like Hallie um, has done such a nice job of kind of weaving. How do we extrapolate from this movie to like our lives, our experiences, the existence of culture and society. Like I think that we've even begun talking about those connections more. That is kind of like why I always wanted to know what happened in movies anyway. Cause like, that's the interesting, like, yeah, like, who died and how, sure, but if I'm not watching it, that that's a little lost on me, versus, like, what was this movie trying to say about humanity? Not to make it sound so, like, pretentious and lofty, but, like, really, like, that is what you're asking um, when you want to know what a movie's about. 
So, you know, I think that that's been the thing that is always connecting me to it. And I think that like, as we've done the podcast more and more and kind of found our groove, and now that we're with Crooked, and there's such a robust political atmosphere at the company, and that lets us kind of tap into that more, like, I think we've really like, doubled down on that focus. And I think like, whether it's political, or whether it's just kind of like how people interact, or what it like, I think that those things are what's interesting to me. I think that's what's interesting to people who listen. And I think that's why like the podcast can even exist. Cause just like a play by play of beheadings is not that exciting after four episodes. You know what I mean? Audio. I mean, in terms of the actual movies that you're, you're choosing is relevance to, to the current moment. Is, is that key? I think so. In, or at least we try for it to be, um, I mean, it's not, you can't be one-to-one or whatever, but I think the nice thing about horror is that it, you know, there's, I mean, there's an unending amount of it. And so much of it reflects like all like societal fears about like, you know, they think about like Rosemary's baby. And it's like, we live in a world where Rover's weight has been overturned. Like as a woman, that's terrifying. So it's like that, that whole constellation of body horror, you know, I think, um, uh, horror is political because the body is political. So, you know, for, for example, for pride, we did, we we're doing a month of, um, queer or queer coded horror movies. But, you know, I mean, truly, I don't know. It's like, I, I'm sure there is a horror movie that can't anyway connect to something, but we haven't found it yet, my friend. Yeah. yeah no, not yet. The last several movies that have been mentioned, Rosemary's Baby, Silence of the Lambs, Get Out, or all these, you know, really like critically lauded movie. They're all considered great movies, you know, in, in their own way, but you don't have to dig very far into the horror genre to come up with like some really awful stuff. And I'm, you know, like a lot of people, one of the things I was I was not a, a horror person at all, but one of my weird comfort things that I developed over the past three years was like watching the worst horror movies possible. Like the the, the worse mm-hmm. they are, the less redeeming value they have. You know, that like if you really start scrolling down on Amazon Prime, you you, you get some good stuff. I mean, I, I've watched I've watched all of the Leprechaun movies now. Mm. It starts off from a pretty bad place and, and, and it just gets considerably worse. Are you still able to find, to mine that sort of subject matter in a movie that's that awful? Oh, sure. I mean, one of our favorite episodes was this movie, Mad, <laughs> Madman. And it, it was, you know, just a regular slasher in a summer camp. But it, it, like you find out pretty far into the movie that it's actually a fall camp and they're going to go on Thanksgiving break. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about in New York? So I definitely think so. I think we love trash. I think uh, um, horror is a genre in which the idea of a good or bad movie is irrelevant. I think it's, um, it's an effective movie. It's a movie that, you know, if it has it sort of, because there's a lot of like movies and paper that are competently made, but they are not going to grab you. And so I definitely think trash is one of our definitely a, a beloved um, topic. We love trash. We truly do. It gives the podcast like some nice peaks and valleys where it's like sometimes there's episodes that are really heavy because there's no lightness or silliness to the movie we're talking about. And we're obviously not going to bring lightness and silliness to something when, um, you know, especially if it has ties to kind of any of the current moment or, you know, anything just like generally horrific for a group of people. But like, you can't have every episode be this kind of 
heavy handed, super relevant, deep dive trauma bond. But you also don't want every episode to be like leprechaun in space. You know, it's like, I think what's fun about horror is there's so many different corners of the genre that it lets the podcast stay very fresh and kind of lets us kind of keep, you know, if we're, if we're like, Oh God, we've done a whole bunch of this kind of thing. Like let's do something kind of goofy or something that Hallie's going to hate or something that everybody loves you know, or something that's like kind of more of a thriller or kind of more, you know, of all the different kind of sub genres within horror and the varying like quote unquote quality standards of different movies. Um, I think that's what, like, I think that's why you could do this podcast in this genre and have so much freedom and flexibility to kind of make a fun show that stays interesting and different week to week versus I think other genres get, you know, you can get a little weighed down in just the fact that there isn't as much breadth within it. Yeah, like, probably no one's going to be brutally murdered at the end of a right. rom-com. Like, you know what's going to happen. Is it possible, though, to bring fun, to bring lightness and silliness to an incredibly depressing movie? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think we've um, done it, too. Horror, yeah, definitely. I think horror is inherently leans towards the absurd. You have to take something horrible in real life and then depict it for the screen, so you have to make it alter it in some way that could either be camp or it could be funny or it could be like surreal and i think all those moments are the art of horror and then also moments for us to sort of blow out and and make funny knowing that you know we're talking about horror movies none of these are documentaries none of this is true crime like certainly some things are like based on a true story or something like that but it doesn't get as as bogged down in the way that like the true crime genre can where it's like well what are we gonna goof around about like these people died, you know, that's, that's sad. That's a real, that's a cold case. That's a true, like that somebody was murdered. Like those things, you know, it's so hard. And I, you know, depending on who you are, like, I don't know if it's a good or a bad idea to even really dive into that world, but like, we're talking about fictional things and fictional people. And there is like that nice distance between like the world of the movie and the world we live in. That if we're like, this guy's an, idiot like i can't believe he would go back into that room he deserves to get stabbed and it's like okay well like that person didn't get stabbed that's an actor who got paid to have blood put on his shirt like there there is like kind of a little bit of wiggle room to get silly without it feeling i don't want to say distasteful because i don't want to put down people who make true crime content but we don't have to worry about kind of real life implications necessarily um, of the things yeah. we're talking about, because it is all fictional characters and fictional scenarios. Allison, you specifically, I'm curious as somebody with far less of a frame of reference for, for horror movies, having not really watched many, how, how the show has sort of shaped your relationship to the genre. One of the things I love about it is that horror is a beloved genre and there are movies in horror that are so outrageously popular and baked into our culture that they were references. I, you know, I'm look, I'm a huge Simpsons fan. I love the Treehouse of horror episodes. I missed every reference to a movie when, when, like when I've, whenever I've watched it and like, not even like specifically scary Halloween episodes, but like there are just references all throughout our culture because these are great movies with like really interesting artistic um, decisions and cool writing. Like there is 
Like, I appreciate the genre so much. I'm just, like, squeamish about that kind of thing. I'll watch women throw wine on each other on Bravo all day, and I understand that that makes Hallie uncomfortable. Yeah, no, I can't watch reality TV. I can't, I can't stand conflict. I can't watch conflict. I can't. But I think, like, we've done so much and covered so much. It's been very cool to kind of be like, oh, my God, that's what that reference is in this movie or TV show or this joke somebody tells or this book I read, like it's kind of giving me um, an education in, it feels like taking a college class almost sometimes. So I, you know, I love it and I, and I still have no interest in watching 99.8% of the movies that we've covered. <laughs> 